Hello and welcome to today's episode of Natural Health with CNM, the College of Naturopathic Medicine. I'm your host, Michelle Sanchez. Today I'm joined by CNM's Director of Education, Bobby Qureshi. Bobby is also a practicing osteopath and a senior lecturer at CNM. Bobby is going to be talking to us about the common causes of back pain and how we can alleviate back pain naturally. He'll also be explaining how inflammation impacts our musculoskeletal system and the role of vitamin D when it comes to bones and muscles. Bobby graduated with a Master's of Osteopathy degree in 2013 and he's obtained a wealth of clinical experience specialising in musculoskeletal health, working for osteopathic practices both in the UK and overseas. Hello, Bobby. How are you? I'm very good, Michelle. Thanks for having me on. Thanks so much for joining me today to share all your knowledge and experience. It's really great to have you on the show. No problem. So back pain is something a lot of people suffer with, myself included. So I'm really looking forward to hearing your tips and advice on what we can do to reduce back pain. So I think this episode is also going to be really interesting for all the people working from home who may not necessarily have their workstations set up ergonomically, which results in more back pain and neck issues. So, but before we get into that, can you please tell me a little bit about yourself, your experience as an osteopath and your role at CNM? Yeah, of course. So as you mentioned, I've been an osteopath now since 2013. And I have my own osteopathic clinic based in South London, where I specialize in in the holistic treatment of various musculoskeletal problems. And that ranges from things like back pain and neck pain and headaches, uh, all the way down to things like knee pain and other joint related problems, typically. Um, And away from my role as as an osteopath, I also, as you mentioned uh, teach at CNM and I teach first year students on our various diploma courses Um, and and in that role I I basically teach students about the different body systems and about disease Uh, and further from that I also operate as the education director where I get to oversee all of the different academic disciplines so I've kind of got my fingers in in lots of different pies if you like I'm, I'm working in lots of different areas which I absolutely love and although it's possibly a little bit cliche I think one of the things that that drives me on every day is is this ambition just to help as many people as possible and I'm extremely fortunate because I can do that with my own patients in my practice but I can also see the bigger picture with what we're trying to achieve at CNM too. Absolutely definitely keeps you busy all those different hats you've got to wear that's fantastic. It does. So now putting your osteopath hat on let's talk a little bit about back pain. Okay, so what are some of the common back complaints you see in clinic and what's the root cause of back pain? Yeah, sure. So I think first of all, to to highlight, um, you know, statistically speaking, one in three adults will experience back pain in the UK every single year. So it is going to affect so many people. And so it's really good to get to grips with where this is stemmed from in the first place. And actually, you know, from my experience in practice, I think if we can understand where this has come from, then we're much more likely to get much better results, not just at sort of managing pain, but actually getting to the root of the problem. Now, there are some extremely common culprits that I see in practice, and I'm going to talk you through a couple of the key ones. First of all, and and probably now more than ever, I would say a lack of movement and a lack of exercise. Uh, I mean, think of how many people sit around a lot of the day working, you know, people sitting at home, often 
at a desk that has a pretty poor setup where they're hunched over, not moving for three, four hours at a time. Um, that's a really big factor, I would say. So I think a lack of movement, um, just not getting those joints moving, not activating those muscles enough, that can be a big factor in back pain. I would also say stress, just extending on from that. Uh, stress is a big one. You know, it affects us all. And if we think about what happens when we get stressed, our muscles tighten up, we go into that fight or flight response. And as soon as those muscles tighten up, they start pulling on joints, they start restricting movement, and they start putting that bit of strain where those joints can, can then become inflamed, which leads me on to my final point, which is inflammation. Inflammation is really at the root of a lot of back pain that I see in my practice. And mm -hmm. if we have a body environment that's harboring inflammation, and that's often due to factors like poor dietary habits and poor lifestyle, then back pain is just so much more likely. So these are different factors that create an optimal environment for somebody to experience back pain. Absolutely. So I'm going to come back to the inflammation in a moment, but just going back to your point about movement, because I know, especially with a lot of people working from home, as you mentioned, hunched over their desk and, are, sure. and not having breaks. And I know I'm guilty of that. So how much movement is sort of, if we're talking about sort of a seven, eight hour day, how much movement should somebody be doing? Or like how often should they be having breaks and getting up and moving around? Well, generally with my patients, I try and recommend that if they can move every 45 minutes to an hour for at least a couple of minutes, that would be an ideal situation. And I think some people get into these habits where they're sat down and they're so focused on work and they don't realize that two hours have passed by. So it mm -hmm. might be an idea to maybe even set an alarm on your phone just to remind you, yep, I need to stand up. I need to go and get a glass of water. I need to go and do a couple of stretches. Um, the, the other option here is also to, to actually get a standing desk rather than just sitting down. Um, and that's quite a good idea for trying to support your posture that little bit more and trying to make sure that it's, it's a bit easier for your body to move and to get those joints moving in your spine, especially. Yes. And I've heard a lot about standing desks. I've never really fancied it because I, I think you just get so used to sitting, don't you? And I think, oh, that would be really weird. Have you got one? Uh, do you know what? I, I haven't uh, I haven't at home, but I, I tend to be moving all the time. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty, um, pretty persistent with myself, making sure that I'm always moving around. I've also got a yes. dog who keeps me very busy. So I'm always on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. Okay. Now that's fantastic. So in terms of posture, what other things should we be? So if somebody doesn't have a standing desk and they're sitting, what kind of things should we be aware of in terms of the ergonomic setup? So if you are just sort of got this makeshift office and things sure. aren't quite how they should be. I would say that one area of your desk setup that you want to invest in is your desk chair. Um, I think mm -hmm. it's money really, really well spent. And so many people right now are probably listening to this thinking, this is definitely me. And I sit at my dining table, which is yeah. a recipe for disaster because your average <laughs> dining table chair is not designed for you to sit at it eight hours a day, five days a week. So no. invest in a good chair. Um, 
you know, you can even go to, to, to different shops where you can go and try the chairs out, looking at what's comfortable. You need to make sure that the, 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 the lower part of the chair, that the lumbar area of the chair has a really good support. Um, ideally, the chair also needs to go up to around about the level of the shoulders. A lot of desks actually, sorry, a lot of chairs, uh, you'll notice that they cut off around your mid back, which doesn't really give the upper part of your back much support. The other no, thing that's that, so true. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the other thing I would also consider is where your screen is positioned. A lot of people have their have their uh, computer set up where their screen is either far too low or far too high. You need to make sure that the that the central part of your of your laptop or your computer screen is around about in in line with your eye level. So trying to get that's really good. And you can actually get lots of elevators for your laptop so that you can just lift your laptop screen up. Um, and then maybe it's worth just plugging a, a keyboard and a mouse in just so that you're not restricted. If you think about using a laptop, generally, you're a little bit limited, aren't you, in the way in which you can type. So those are my those are my key tips on that. Okay, fantastic. I know I've got some because I, I noticed that when my laptop is lower down, so I've got, I've got some old encyclopedias, these massive big block <laughs> books, and I've got three stacked up actually. And it's just having that elevation. I notice myself and my posture. I'm not hunching over as much, and so that's a really key point. So thank it's you a, for that. Great it's a advice. really, really important one. Yeah, definitely invest in it. Definitely get it sorted. And I, I, I think what you're saying there, you know, you're speaking for a lot of people out there listening. <laughs> <laughs> All the naughty ones. Um, okay, fantastic. Um, so let's talk a bit about inflammation. You touched on that. So can you just talk us through inflammation? So what it is and how it happens in the body and how it impacts our bones and muscles specifically? Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, inflammation is just crucial to understand because in, in my practice, I would argue that pretty much every patient I see with back pain and neck pain has at least some degree of inflammation at the heart of the problem. So if you can understand why someone has that inflammation and how to therefore overcome it, you can make a massive difference. Now, inflammation is actually a key component of your immune system. And it's a natural body defense. And if you think about what inflammation does on a, on a very simple level, it draws blood to the area, it makes something hot, it swells the area, and it makes it painful. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a little bit like your body's alert system, just telling you that something's wrong and it's drawing lots of blood, lots of nutrients to the area to address whatever needs to be done. And short bursts of that are generally beneficial but sometimes they're not. But the biggest problem we see in, in, in medicine is this chronic inflammation, which means inflammation that is lingering around for far too long. Mm -hmm. And this is like a fire that's causing damage and pain. And you're releasing these chemicals that are sending out pain signals to your brain. And that's obviously unpleasant. And when you get inflammation in a joint, let's just say, it can feel sore and it can feel painful. And if you go back to this analogy of the fire, we need to try and understand what's what's sort of promoting that fire mm -hmm. and what can we do to extinguish it rather than throwing fuel on it. So inflammation is really a key aspect of any back and neck pain, I would say. And that's just really from my experience. And just one additional point as a little bit of advice, if you're trying to understand whether 
your back pain is related to inflammation, then why don't you maybe touch the area to see whether it's hot, whether it's sort of swollen. And also, if you get back pain that's worse in the morning, that maybe gets a bit better with movement, that's a really big indicator of inflammation. So I imagine, again, even you possibly, Michelle, might relate to that, that morning pain or that stiffness that gets a little bit better when you move around. Absolutely. That's suggestive that there's inflammation there. Okay, that's fantastic. So in conditions like osteoarthritis, for example, that's going to be chronic inflammation. That's sort of that inflammation that's there all the time. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, osteoarthritis is where the, you know, the cartilage starts to degenerate in a joint, but by doing so that creates inflammation. So it comes back to that same concept with so many of these problems that inflammation is at the root of it. And there are so many causes of inflammation, but there's also so much there that we can do to extinguish that fire and to try and put out that inflammation. Absolutely. And it's going to be important for the whole body because it's not just in our joints and muscles where we get inflammation, it's in other parts. You can get inflammation in your guts, in your sinuses. Exactly. So I think, okay, so that leads us on nicely to talk about some sort of what are some natural solutions to alleviate back pain and also inflammation. So is there anything we can do naturopathically through diet, nutrition and lifestyle aside from or in combination with the physical exercises and the manual therapy? Of course, absolutely. I mean, um, there is no one specific solution for back pain and inflammation, but there are some really common themes and some really good, useful bits of advice I'm going to give you. First of all, coming back to this idea of just movement, um, you know, movement is so fundamental for pretty much every case of back pain because by moving, we're nourishing joints. We're we're moving those chemicals that are creating inflammation out of joints and we're bringing in fresh nutrients. So movement's fundamental. And if you've got stress as well at the root of the problem, I would think about exercise uh, exercises that involve stretching at the heart of it too. So things like yoga and Pilates. Great. I have a lot of patients in my practice who come into me so stressed with so much inflammation and they're telling me that they're doing some high intensity workouts three or four days a week. And I'm just thinking, no, 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 no. This is the <laughs> wrong type of exercise for you. You need to stretch you need to calm your body down. You need to relax your muscles. And so getting the right exercise is, is fundamental. But I would go for your stretching forms of exercise and things like swimming because, you know, swimming is great in that it's non-weight bearing. So you're not putting excessive pressure through areas like the spine. In terms of nutrition, nutrition plays a fundamental role. And actually, just thinking back to my initial bio at the start there, obviously my background is in osteopathy. And actually, the osteopathy training I did didn't have that much of a focus on nutrition. And it was only when I went into practice that I started to see the role of of nutrition. And I remember having a patient who came in with a a disc herniation in the lower back. And he'd had this disc herniation for about a year. And he came in saying, look, Bobby, I can't pick up my child anymore. You know, I've got a three-year-old child and I literally can't pick him up. And I treated him and he was sort of getting a bit better, but then it kept coming back. And it wasn't that long after I started at CNM and I thought, okay, I'm going to look outside the box here, look a bit deeper. And I looked at his diet in more detail and there was so much inflammation that was coming as a result of his diet. And I made some really basic recommendations to him. And within a month, he was completely symptom-free 
And for me, this was like a massive eye opener. I mean, this was one of those, this is one of those cases that sticks in my brain that made me realize the impact of nutrition. And with him, it was actually following some of the advice I'm going to give now, which is really useful to put it, put into action. So if we think of inflammation like this fire, first of all, on one side of it, we've got foods that create more fire, that create more inflammation. So these are foods that we describe as being pro-inflammatory foods. And your typical culprits are your refined sugars, like those you find in your cakes, your biscuits, and your chocolate, very sadly. All the yummy stuff I know, it's really (laughs) devastating. I'm ruining a lot of people's lockdown right now. (laughs) Um, Also, dairy products. Now, dairy does create a degree of inflammation in the body. Now, this could affect the skin, it could affect the gut, but it can also affect joints. The same with gluten. Gluten is often a trigger. And I've seen patients in practice who've actually cut gluten out of their diets. And they, again, have had symptom resolution within the space of days, if not weeks. And so it makes you think that, you know, just what we're putting into our bodies, it has such a big role to play when it comes to inflammation. So those are some key ones. I would also say looking at some healthy swaps for patients, because as as you know, with your background, getting some good healthy alternatives is really key. And things like meat, if somebody's eating lots of meat that's really processed or non-grass-fed or non-organic meat, try and get them to swap over to better quality sources of meat, because those sources of meat tend to have more of your omega-3 fats, which tend to be more anti-inflammatory, but also things like oils. If you've got somebody that's cooking with lots of vegetable oils, then try and pick better oils like coconut oil or extra virgin olive oil, because they don't tend to create anywhere near the amounts of inflammation. In fact, they can be anti-inflammatory. So looking for some healthy alternatives, even what in, in terms of what you're cooking with. Then you want to look at sort of other anti-inflammatory foods, um, other omega-3 rich foods, like uh, your some of your seeds, like chia seeds, which are so easy to throw onto your, you know, your porridge in the morning. Same with flax seeds. Um, but also things like oily fish like salmon and putting a particular focus on wild salmon rather than farmed salmon, which has you know far more um, nutritional benefits. And just w- one final point in terms of diet, I would also put a focus on eating more red fruits and vegetables like red onions, red peppers, apples, berries, uh, because these have a, a really powerful anti-inflammatory compound in them called quercetin, which is really great for just dampening down that fire. Fantastic. Some really great advice. And I think you sort of touched on a point there that it's very difficult when you start saying to people, right, you've got to cut out gluten, you've got to cut out dairy and all of these things. And people don't know what to replace them with. So you've given some really nice examples there. Sure. And I think that's where our CNM's Nutrition for Everyday Living is such a great course because it does give you those basics, doesn't it? It talks about food groups and sort of alternatives, etc. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I actually was involved in in the writing of that course and and putting the course on, online, which which is um, which is where you can also access it. And and it's been really interesting because it, it's attracted a lot of people that previously didn't know much about nutrition. And I've spoken to a few of them where 
you know, these are people that, that really didn't know the real basics of what they're putting into their body. And um, it, it, it's amazing to see that, you know, when you learn this sort of information, putting it into practice in your life, you know, you see the changes, don't you? You know, we, me and you have been there in our training. When you start Absolutely. to implement these things, you know, it's powerful stuff. It is really powerful. And you can not only help yourself, you help your family, you can help friends and, and it doesn't have to be complicated. And I think sometimes people, they get caught up in sort of all the complicated terms and it's just getting back to basics and eating foods in their natural form, organic where possible, more yeah. colors, as you said, lots of, you know, colors are, are great as well. So, so Absolutely. no, so we'll put a link to that course in the show notes for anyone that might be interested and it's a short course so it's not that you have to go on like a, a three-year journey of studying it's um it's a short course how long is that one bobby um so this one's over 12 lectures so it's 12 12 okay, lectures they're, they're fairly short i think the online course each lecture is about an hour and a, an hour and a bit on on average okay great so nice bite-sized chunks of information Agreed. fabulous okay so i just want to go back to the point you mentioned about increasing our fish, our intake of fish. Now, what are your thoughts on fish oil and people taking fish oils and, and what should they be looking for in a fish oil? Well, I'm a massive fan of using fish oils in practice. I think they are one of the best tools that we probably have at lowering inflammation and just putting out that fire a little bit more. Um, you, you, it's really important with fish oils that you that you do get good quality fish oils because there are a lot of fish oils out there that aren't great quality. My, my general advice that I would give to patients is that you want a fish oil that has been extracted from smaller fish like sardines, for example, and yeah. you want the fish oil to be high in EPAs, which are part of the anti-inflammatory fats that you find in that in that fish oil and in an in an ideal situation you would actually just use the, the the liquid fish oil itself rather than capsules but some of my patients are not a big fan of doing that and in that case you know using capsules is still going to have its benefits but probably just not quite the same amount as if you were using it in in the raw um, oil form yeah absolutely that's the thing some people and the best time to take fish oils is after a meal and last thing at night I find so yes. you some so you're not getting that sort of um, burping up of fish. So <laughs> exactly, and, <laughs> no one wants which isn't that. the nicest of thing. No, <laughs> and as Bobby said, you know, taking you know, whereas you might, especially if you need the higher doses of fish oil, so you might with a liquid fish oil, you'd perhaps have to take like a teaspoon or half a teaspoon of that a day. Whereas with capsules, because they're lower dose, dependent on the brand that you get, you'd have to take more of those. So just something to think about when you're uh, looking great at your point. fish oils. Okay, great. So just moving on to natural remedies, because there's some really fantastic natural remedies for back pain, well, pain in general, actually, such as herbal yes. medicine, homeopathy, and different sort of nutritional supplements. Which remedies do you recommend and why? Okay, so there's a, there's a few key remedies that, that I always use with patients, and I'll explain my, my reasons. So I'm going to start off with some of the, the pain-relieving um, herbs and spices, and I'm going to start with turmeric, because turmeric is just such an amazing anti-inflammatory. It is great at lowering that inflammation across the body. And this doesn't just include joints. This also includes areas like the gut and other systems of the body. Um, the key with turmeric is that, you know, 
try and integrate that into your food, into your cooking as best as possible. It's very easy to do. Obviously, it stains mm-hmm. just about everything, which is the downside. <laughs> <laughs> um, the thing also to bear in mind with turmeric is that to really facilitate its absorption into the blood, you need to try and include black pepper and also some healthy dietary fats. So this is why, you know, getting turmeric into your food, um, you know, getting some black pepper in there, getting some coconut oil or extra virgin olive oil, that's a great way of just getting that into your body and getting the anti-inflammatory properties. And if you're looking for a supplement of turmeric, which you can absolutely also use, then I would be looking for a supplement that has black pepper in there rather than just the turmeric. Otherwise, it's questionable as to how much absorption you're going to get. The next thing I would look at is ginger. Again, very simple. We've probably all got it in our kitchen. Fresh ginger root is an amazing anti-inflammatory. And actually ginger and turmeric work on very similar pathways to some drugs like ibuprofen. But the difference is these don't come with the side effects because of the way in which they work on those cycles. Now, ginger, you can use really easily just grated in hot water. Um, and just leaving it to steep and then just drinking it maybe, let's just say, through the through the evening. Um, so ginger's a great anti-inflammatory. You can also supplement with ginger um, and you can use ginger and turmeric together. Another herb that I would think about with back pain that's so effective is devil's claw. Now, devil's claw, you can get in a lot of health food shops. It's very easy to get online. Now, I recommend patients to either get this in the form of capsules, generally, because they're easiest to access, unless you were to actually go and see a herbalist. Or you could get this as a cream. You can get really good devil's claw creams. And I generally recommend for people to put the cream in in their fridge, which obviously has that cooling effect on the cream. And then you can rub it onto uh, back pain. It's especially good for back pain that's really bad in the mornings, that's clearly inflammatory in, in nature. The other herb that I that I use a lot, just to finish this little list here, is Boswellia. Now, Boswellia is one that maybe you haven't heard of before uh, if you're listening out there, but it's where we get frankincense from. Now, frankincense is the essential oil that comes from, from the plant Boswellia. And Boswellia is a really good anti-inflammatory. And I quite often use this and recommend this. And it's good for longer term use. I wouldn't generally recommend Boswellia if somebody's just come in and they're looking to get pain relief within a couple of days. Boswellia will take a little bit longer to work, but it does do an amazing job. So those are my key herbs. I probably I probably actually could throw on there as well herbs like ashwagandha, which many people now are are learning about. And so many students at CNM are coming in already being experts in ashwagandha because <laughs> it does have muscle relaxant properties. So it's a really great one. And it's also great for stress as well. No, it's um, I love a bit of ashwagandha. <laughs> Absolutely. That keeps me going some days. <laughs> so any other sort of nutritional supplements? which you might recommend? Yeah, absolutely. Now, if somebody comes in to see me and I think that a lot of their problem is related to muscular pain, which is, of course, extremely common, then the the key mineral that I will always go for is magnesium. And the amazing thing with magnesium is that it is a muscle relaxant. It's great for stress and it's also great Mm -hmm. for sleep. Now, that's important because when we don't sleep enough, 
we start to get more inflammation. So a lack of sleep or poor quality sleep is bit is a bit like throwing fuel on that fire. So magnesium is a great all-rounder and there's a few ways in which you can use this. Now, you can increase your magnesium rich foods like your green leafy vegetables, uh, pumpkin seeds, uh, black beans and avocado. What you can also do is you can uh, start supplementing with magnesium citrates. I generally per myself use magnesium citrate for patients and you can get some magnesium citrate powders and you just put normally a, a teaspoon or a flat teaspoon of the powder in some boiling water. You top it up a little bit with some cold water and then just drink it before sleep. Uh, and then obviously that will help you uh, with, with your with your sleep too. And finally, the, the other way of getting magnesium into your muscles, and possibly my favorite, uh, going to save the best for last, is your Epsom salt baths. And I'm oh, sure you're with me on this. Absolutely. <laughs> just amazing. This has saved so many of my patients. And actually, now more than ever, bearing in mind as an osteopath, I can't practice right now with this lockdown. So I'm having to give lots of advice and guidance to my patients over the phone, over Skype and all these other online platforms. And Epsom salt baths have come in really handy. And I'm sure my patients will agree with me when I say that they are very effective. The great thing with Epsom salts is that they're so rich in magnesium and they get absorbed through your skin and into your muscles where they relax the muscles and they alleviate pain. My best bit of advice with Epsom salt baths is that you need a good quantity. I think, and you'll probably agree with me on this, Michelle, a lot of people put in a little sprinkle of Epsom salts into a warm bath. And to be honest, it's not going to do a huge amount on muscles. You, you need realistically between 500 grams and a thousand grams of Epsom salts to get, to get the benefits you want. And you could do that multiple times in a week if you wanted. Definitely. So that's sort of a good couple of cupfuls, isn't it? It is absolutely. You need at least, I would say, a good couple of cupfuls. Um, and 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 actually, what I recommend to patients is to actually just get get them online because if you go into your average um, health food shop, you're probably only going to get maybe 500 grams or or a kilo bag. So if you want to buy in bulk, um, then then certainly have a look online. Definitely. I buy those, one of those massive big tubs and I think, gosh, I think it's like 10 kilos or something, but it's a much more economic way to, <laughs> to do it than going to the Absolutely. supermarket for sure. What are your thoughts on magnesium sprays and creams? Because they're becoming quite popular now. Do they work as effectively? Yeah, I, I do like magnesium sprays and creams. If I'm completely honest, I don't, I don't go for them um, with every single patient. And one of the reasons is that a lot of the, the the sprays that you can find out there do have some unpleasant ingredients for some reason that accompanies the magnesium. So whilst I do like magnesium sprays and creams, I would always just, just make sure that you check the ingredients, make sure that there are, that there are no unnecessary chemicals in there. Uh, mm -hmm. Because the last thing we want to obviously do is start promoting more absorption of of any sort of nasties that are going to create more inflammation in the body. Um, so that's my only thoughts on that. I, I'm probably one of those practitioners that jumps more for the Epsom salts um, rather than the sprays. Definitely. And the same goes with the supplements. You sort of touched on it. Go for the magnesium citrate form if you can. So with any mineral, just a little tip for you. 
they use, there's lots of different forms of the mineral. So sometimes some of these cheaper supplements out there, they use the cheaper form and it doesn't absorb into the body as well. So say, for example, with iron and magnesium, they've got an oxide form, which doesn't absorb very well. Whereas as Bobby recommended, the citrate form, you know, it absorbs and the body uptakes it a lot better. So it will get into your muscles a lot quicker and all your cells. So Agreed, agreed. Now, another vitamin I'd like to talk about is vitamin D. So we know vitamin D plays an important role in musculoskeletal health, especially for bone growth and repair, calcium absorption and muscle strength and performance. But how specifically does vitamin D play a role with chronic musculoskeletal pain? Well, it's actually one of the most important factors in anybody that comes to see me who is suffering from chronic pain. Because what we've learned in the last few years more so is that vitamin D plays a huge role when it comes to inflammation and pain experience. Now, if we have good optimal levels of vitamin D, it is less likely that you're going to get more long-term inflammation and hence pain. So Mm -hmm. it's something that I would really want to optimize. And I do try and optimize in all my patients. And obviously, like you said, this is a a vitamin that has lots of roles in the body. And in the UK, especially, we're really, unfortunately, um, in a situation where we do often have vitamin D deficiencies. And that's unfortunately due to our general lack of, uh, of sunlight, as you know. Absolutely. So, so what are some of the best ways for us to get vitamin D? So we know it comes from the sunlight. So can you talk us through a bit that? Can we get it from food as well? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, with sunlight, obviously, it's mostly going to be in the summer months or in the warmer months where we can create vitamin D. Um, now, vitamin D can be stored in, in our bodies. Um, it, is a, it is a fat-soluble vitamin, which generally means they're stored quite well. And so if you can top up your vitamin D levels in those warmer months, you might be able to give yourself a bit of a helping hand for when it starts to get a bit colder. And a bit of advice as to when your body will synthesize or create most vitamin D, it's if, if, you, if you imagine the sun hitting your body, you'll notice that it creates a shadow and you're looking for that shadow to be less than the height of your body. So you're basically looking for quite a small shadow And that tells Mm -hmm. you that the sun is in a position in the sky where you're most likely to create a good amount of vitamin D. Now, you can also get vitamin D um, from from foods. Um, vitamin D, uh, vitamin D3, which is the more active form, is something that you can get from things like oily fish and also, you know, good quality meat sources too. You can get some vitamin D from mushrooms, um, but those mushrooms have to be bathed themselves in really good quantities of sunlight. So that's just something to, to bear in mind. I wouldn't rely on that as a sole source of vitamin D. And actually, to be honest, I do recommend vitamin D supplementation, especially across those winter months where we're trying just to bolster those levels a little bit. Yes, it, it- I think so a lot of people's levels deplete during those months for sure. But before, I just wanted to make the point that before you start supplementing with vitamin D, it's always best to get your blood levels checked first because yes. the dose to make sure one, that you're deficient and two, it, the level, the amount of vitamin D that you need to take or supplement with will depend on the level. So if your levels are quite low, then you'll need to take a higher dose. But that's something that you'd need to do under the guidance of a practitioner. So either a naturopath or nutritionist um, would be great. So what are the optimum levels, Bobby, that, that people would need to be looking at? 
Well, I mean, if you went to if you went to uh, the NHS and, and had a blood test, then generally their understanding is that over about fifty uh, nanomoles per liter is the adequate range. Now. Mm-hmm. That's certainly adequate, you would say, but it's certainly not optimal. And as naturopathic practitioners, we're not just looking for an absence of disease. We're looking for optimal health. We're looking for, you know, vitality in terms of health. So we would be looking more for ranges between about 70 and 125 nanomoles per liter. And this is crucial because just to add one additional point on about vitamin D, that's sort of a little bit away from musculoskeletal uh, health. One thing we've learned more in the last... uh, Um, sort of 10 or so years of research is that vitamin D is also a really powerful agent that, that, that sort of checks around your body and looks for any signs of tumor growth. So we call it Mm -hmm. a tumor surveillance agent. So I always think of it in terms of, you know, how can I optimize my patient's overall health and well-being? and moving away from musculoskeletal health, it plays a role in all of these different body systems. Absolutely. Vitamin D is such an important vitamin for the body for so many things. So yeah, that's a really fantastic point. Thank you, Bobby. No problem. So now just to finish up, I'd like to ask you one last question. So what advice would you give to anyone wanting to improve their health, perhaps to study nutrition or natural therapies? Are there any particular courses you would recommend as a good starting point? Yeah. So I mean, just talking of my own journey into and and now in the field of natural medicine, you know, I can honestly say that that taking that step towards helping others was was literally the best decision I've probably ever made. And for anyone out there who also has that that inner drive and urge to want to do the same, then I would firstly highlight that it is not too late. We have so many um, mature students studying with us at the college, and you know, we give so much support so that if it's a concern and you're thinking, oh my God, I'm not sure I can go into all of this studying. I've been out of study for so long. Then you can do it. And I mean, at CNM, there are so many different courses that you could look at that could offer you more insight into the human body, into nutrition. So for example, if you're interested in just sort of topping up your knowledge of how the body works and disease and some natural therapies, then you could look at the How the Body Works course, which is a course I wrote, um, which is 14 parts, 14 lectures. You can study it online. It's a really great course. You can also look at our diploma courses if you want to take that a step further. And if your real ambition is to become an actual practitioner that can help other people, then look at studying one of our courses like the naturopathic nutrition course, where we'll basically give you all the skills you need to do that. So, you know, it is never too late. And um, it's just such an amazing area to work in. I'm so privileged to be able to, to wake up every day knowing that in one way or another, I'm going to make a positive impact on somebody's life. So I really hope that that message gets out there and encourages people to do the same. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you, Bobby. And I know it's such a rewarding career working in the natural therapy space because you can change so many people's lives, which is fantastic. Well, that's all we've got time for today. Thank you so much for listening and a big thank you to Bobby for sharing all his knowledge and tips with us. It's been fantastic. Thank you. No problem at all. I really enjoyed it. You can find all the information we discussed today in the show notes on the CNM website at www.cnmpodcast.com. As Bobby mentioned, CNM has a range of courses from short intro classes to full diplomas, so be sure to check those out too. 
Join us again next week when I talk to nutritional therapist and best-selling cookery author, Madeline Shaw, about motherhood and health. She'll be sharing her tips and advice on how mums can nourish themselves to stay strong, healthy and energised. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed the show, make sure you subscribe through your favourite podcatcher so you don't miss any future episodes. While you're there, we'd love it if you could leave us a rating or review as this helps us when creating new content.